Topia with you once again. It is I, Jeremy Vaney. And I, your humble servant, Jeff Ritzman. <laughs> More humble than I am. Uh, and we are here with another dynamic duo show. That's right. Just the Jeff and I. Sort of free-forming, although we definitely have some things that we want to say. Deep things, some theories to throw out. Uh, we alluded to last week, especially... Uh, Jeff's got a Gulf Breeze hypothesis that I think is fantastic, and I have some. I think I have some tidbits um, that might lead into that very well. Uh, by the way, eleven eleven, make a wish, Jeff. Woo! What? <laughs> but before we get to that, if you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Last week, you told me your your hypothesis for Gulf Breeze. Mm-hmm which I think is fantastic. And I guess I was going to preface it with some things, but maybe we should do it in reverse. Maybe it makes more sense to hear what you have to say about Gulf Breeze. And then, and then we'll see if we can't make sense of it. (laughs) Wow. It's that bad, huh? No, Uh, no, actually, I mean, at first I wasn't buying it at first. I was like, no, yeah, I I know. (laughs) Uh, But then I I don't remember what you said somewhere along the way it clicked. And it was like, Oh, now, wait a minute. Now, that's that's a stroke of genius, and I don't know that it's true, but well, uh, but it's so out there that I think it must be said. How about that? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll throw it out. Um, I think the way our conversation started off was you saying something about, um, you know, I never, I never did hear or know what your whole theory on Golf Breeze was, and I said, uh, let's everybody kind of make a mental picture here. We've got a guy who uh, wants to fake something. It's a lonely guy in suburbia, and he lives in a little town, a fairly, let's call it a neighborhood. He lives in a, a fairly small little neighborhood, and then there is a, an expanse of, uh, of open farmland between him and the next little neighborhood. And this guy spends, I don't know, two weeks to a month after work. He's building this elaborate prop that he's going to fly from a black helium balloon and some monofilament. <laughs> 
and he's equipped it with lights that he can, you know, actively, you know, he can remote control them. And perhaps there's even a little fan driving device that's going to push this thing through the air in the direction that he wants. And so he finishes this thing up and um, he picks a night where it's clear and, and uh, maybe a little bit of a breeze. And, uh, and he lets this thing fly. He's got a decent vantage point, say, maybe from his roof uh, or maybe from another higher structure, maybe a hill somewhere that he takes this thing to in his car. And, uh, and he lets it fly. And so it flies over top of his neighborhood. And um, as it's going, you know, he's taking some photographs of it. And boy, it looks great because the balloon is absolutely black. It's indistinguishable from sky. The uh, monofilament is thin. The model is light. And, uh, and it's got a really wild lighting effect on it. And uh, as he's taking photographs of this thing at close range, mind you, uh, other people in the town are beginning to take notice of this thing. And they're snapping photos, too. And by this time, things have reached a fairly good altitude. And uh, then it drifts over, over the open farmland and into the next little berg. And people there see it. And then he steers it back and he turns the lights off. So the thing is invisible, effectually brings it back, puts it in the truck, and goes home. And so, wow, what's the big news the next day? But the big news is there was a UFO sighting over two towns here, and this is a major deal because this was not lights in the sky. This was a structured object that had form and shape and was sizable. And, uh, and a lot of people read about it. Uh, those people who didn't see it are reading about it. And, um, and at that point... Um, he enjoys a good laugh, and uh, maybe he even dismantles the model so that he can't be caught with it. I mean, he's covered his tracks immeasurably well at this point. And so maybe a few days go by, and then he opens up the paper again, second set of sightings, you know, in uh, Suburbiaville. And he's like, wait a minute, I didn't release any model. And, uh, and yet people are seeing something. And they're seeing something odd, and it's seeing something that is uh, not quite as dramatic as what he made, but nonetheless is still very anomalous looking. And so I asked Jeremy, well, what, do you, what would you make of that? What would you say to that? I can't remember your response exactly, Jeremy, but um, you know, I postulated uh, a, a way that might be, A, fakes beget fakes. And so that's a possibility. And then the other part of a possibility is that it's uh, everyone is on edge now. Everybody's looking, so everybody's focusing on looking, and therefore anything that they see in the sky that seems out of place is going to be worthy of a photo shoot or a video shoot, and that's where all this new footage is coming from. So think about that standard set right there in terms of a UFO hotspot. Could that be what's going on? It very well could be that sort of thing going on. And then the psychosocial hypothesis then takes off from there. But what if getting a really good model into the air and photographing it and having everybody focus on it? Remember what we've said before here. Everybody's focusing on it. Everybody's thinking about it. And everybody's talking about it. And what's more, everybody is out looking. And what if this is when the phenomena decides to present itself 
because guess what? Everyone's looking. The hoax is already done. And sooner or later, someone, somebody out there is going to look at his photos or his video and they're going to see that balloon and they're going to go, ah, it's a fake. This can go the same way if the hoaxer never existed. And say you've got a military installation that has a very top secret drone of some sort. Maybe it's manned, maybe it's unmanned, who knows. And uh, and they're going to fly this thing over and they're going to select someone out of the community that they just feel is, uh, for whatever reason, is going to be the stooge. And they fly this thing over his house and they land it in his backyard and he sees it and he photographs it. And then all of a sudden, guess what? People start going out. People start skywatch groups. People start going out to a certain shoreline park in Gulf Breeze and they start seeing things. And next thing you know, there is contact with beings. And it's not the military. But all of a sudden, this place has become a hotbed for very anomalous activity. And to the point where the military actually acknowledges the anomaly that appears in their skies by doing close flybys with F-15s jet fighters and uh, equipped with gun cams. So clearly, they're unaware of what it is. And so I look at that and I go, well, the phenomenon is hiding itself in plain sight. It knows that... Something odd is being photographed. Something odd is being seen. But they, you know, this—it's the government. It's a government thing. But yet the government is feeding off the UFO story and pr- manipulating the UFO story in the public mind, probably deliberately. And then the actual anomaly shows up. And so, what then? It's perfectly masked because guess what? There's UFOs here. There's the enigma is here. The project is kept under wraps. Great. But if you could put a voice to the other, it would almost be saying, <laughs> uh, well, they're flying this thing and they're perpetuating the UFO myth. So I'm, I am the UFO. So I'll show up. The guy, the people who are in the town, they think it's the aliens. The government can't say anything. <laughs> so lips are tied. Everybody's got their story. Off I go. And the manifestations occur. And probably feeding off the focus of intent, the desire to see, the desire to believe, um, the, the throngs of people out with video cameras, sky watching, seeing the same objects, by the way, night after night, um, people reporting very odd things uh, that really have nothing to do with even a craft of any sort. I mean, that, that was not some of the bigger stories that I saw come out of Golf, golf Breeze. I saw... Um, a lot of what Bruce McAbee spoke of on this, this show one time, which was the little Tinkerbell lights. And uh, there was a case of, uh, uh, and I may be wrong about this, but I think I'm remembering correctly, that uh, it was a pastor's wife saw one of these little Tinkerbell lights descend in her backyard. And it became what we know as an alien gray being or visitor. So that kind of thing did go on. And I've mentioned on this show before that I've seen footage out of Gulf Breeze that as of yet, I'm unaware if it's been ever publicly aired. And this stuff was better than anything that you've seen. I'm telling you, it's better than anything you've seen. I'm trying to get the gentleman who showed it to me on the show. And hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we'll have him on. 
uh, where we can talk to him about that. And perhaps he'll share some of it with us uh, on the program, and we'll post it for everyone up on our site. So um, I don't know if that's what Gulf Breeze is. I don't know that Ed Walter's craft was government. But I think Wes Owsley kind of steered me in that direction for a while. And I've been thinking about it. And, and to toss around everything that I know about Golf Breeze and what I experienced there myself. And also what a gentleman named Bruce Morrison, who, um, you know, you have to understand the mindset of some of the folks there. They're good people. You, you know, I didn't meet a single jerk in Golf Breeze. They were all really nice people who were involved down there, who lived there. And um, I was lucky enough to meet Bruce. And um, and I said to him, you know, uh, you, you got so many sightings on tape, you know, namely the red light that dropped the little, the one they referred to as Bubba from Shoreline Park uh, that would drop out the little white objects that would zip away. And um, I saw him on a program one time saying that, uh, Essentially, after they'd seen it the first time and videotaped it, that this became the priority in their lives. Holidays didn't matter. They were out there on New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, Easter, didn't matter. That's the kind of drive I'm talking about when I talk about the focus of intent and, uh, and our part in manifesting this stuff. Um, that's not to say that it's us. I don't, I'm not putting that out there yet, but as I've said before, I think we definitely have a hand in what shows up and how it presents and when it presents. And this all ties in with, with, with George Hansen's uh, trickster stuff and, and a little of my own stuff. But that's essentially it. And I think Jeremy brought up a good point. He said, well, if that's the case, then what about the jerks that uh, put the helium balloons with the flares on, the road flares? And to me, that's like a different animal because that's um, – uh, is it still a hoax? Sure, it's still a hoax. But it's not the, the level of dedication that it would take to pull off an extremely effective structured object. There's a whole different thing in uh, tying an LED or a road flare uh, to a helium balloon and letting it go. Any dope could do that. It takes a special kind of guy to put together a craft – that looks genuine, that has that aspect of weirdness to it. And, and, you know, you all can take this and say, well, was the guy who made the hoax somehow influenced by the phenomena to do the hoax in the first place? Like, where did, that, where did his drive come from? So you can go backwards with this, too, but um, that's kind of... Well, I like, the, I like the theory of just, you know, sort of the, the, the military using the phenomena to cover its tracks and then the phenomena responding and using the military's cover to cover its tracks. Right. I mean, that to me is just... Everybody's covered at that point. <laughs> Everybody's covered. And see, that's and the, the paranormal escape. chugging this along is, is uh, you know, Joe Average's attention. Right. And we've talked about the paranormal escape hatch before. But you would think that, the, that, that at that point, then, the military, having probably done that numerous times... Um, would have figured out that that is the response from the phenomena. You know what I mean? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm uh, I'm not apart from thinking that at least with golf breeze that there is some kind of environmental thing there too that is unique that is only found in that area. 
I mean, I would be very, very curious. Um, and I don't know that I've ever gone into extreme depth with this, but when I was down there for a conference, a lot of people in my immediate group throughout the two days or three days or whatever it was, uh, came to me and said, have you felt the tremors? And I said, no. (laughs) And they said, well, it's pretty dramatic. And people next to us didn't feel it, but the two of us standing close together, we felt something. It felt like we dropped through the pavement about, you know, a foot. And it was startling. I felt nothing. And as the weekend went on, more and more people started talking about this, saying it's the weirdest thing. I was standing right next to Bob, and Bob didn't feel it, and I did. So it's very pinpoint. And I thought, well, that's really weird. But I really, I have to be honest, I wasn't buying it. I thought, how, that's ridiculous. I mean, what could that be? And um, as the group was um, doing kind of a group shot, um, I was standing there with my arm around somebody and people in front of me and people around us. And whoom, there I go. I dropped down like six inches to a foot. Like it felt like I sank into the ground and then popped back up. It was just like a whoop, whoop. And it was that quick, extraordinarily disorienting. And the people in front of us felt nothing. The people behind us felt nothing. But the person I was standing closest with, we both felt it. But outside of the two of us, um, outside of a three foot by foot, three foot square, maybe didn't feel a thing. And so what is that? I found that to be extraordinarily weird. And I've really never come across anyone aside from our little group who felt that, but I'll make note that everyone in our group was an experiencer. And so I don't know, I don't know what that boils down to. Do you think it's even fair at that point? If, if any of that's true, your hypothesis, Mm -hmm. uh, if that's what's going on, you think it's fair to call whatever this thing is doing science? I think it's fair to call it technology, whatever it's flying around, seemingly flying around. I mean, to refer to it in a technological way? Yeah. No. No. I mean, at that point, it is silly putty of the mind in some sense. In in a way, yeah. What do you think your your guy and shroud guy would say to your hypothesis? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Do you think he would just say you don't understand what you're talking I th- about? I think it would be so uh, – no. <laughs> I think it would be um, that answer that I haven't even thought of because that tends to be the way it works. Um, something so off the wall that I wouldn't do it. And, and, uh, and, and many times it's been um, – I mean for, for any number of things. Things that I've brought up or questions that I've asked, even about me, not nothing to do with this, but just stuff about my own life uh, have been turned around and thrown back at me in such a way that I was I was flabbergasted at how simple it was. But um, you know, the kind of thing where like, well, how could I not see that? How could I not figure that out? But at the same time, it's so in the opposite direction that how could you figure that out? But it seems so obvious when it's brought up. At least by him. Um, I think. Um, I think that I think that he would say um, it's good that you're thinking. <laughs> I think that he would say. Um, I, I mean, as as ambiguous as he's kind of been about answering those sort of things in a way, 
I think I would get the same sort of answer that I've gotten from this phenomena over the years in many different incarnations. I think I would get the same kind of, well, is that what you think? And I would go, yeah. And they would say, well, are you sure? Because that always seems to be, are you sure are the three most common words I've ever heard from these things uh, or anything connected with it? <laughs> and I think it would be an answer like that. You know, I, I look at it in the sense of for many years now, I've kind of thought that it's a door. Like I think about Hynek's doors and windows type of his type of discussions like that. And I go, you know, there's something to that. Like we are both on each side trying to force that window open, but we need each other to do it. And I think it's a two way street. And um, I think that if we push, they push harder, or it pushes harder. Well, but uh, I don't know. I mean, is, so then something is pushing through. I think, yeah. So then it is fair to say technology. I mean, because to me, you've either got some sense of materialism involved or mm-hmm. not. And if not, then I think the, <laughs> the safest mm-hmm. and yet craziest answer is that the very fabric of reality itself has its own consciousness. Well, that could be the silly putty, the 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 mm-hmm. you know the thing between things, the thing between objects. Yeah, uh, is alive and is communicating and taking on forms. That's entirely possible. Otherwise, there is a race of people or something, an intelligence on another side of a door, right? Right, that's coming through, and we help open it. And they're getting here using things that fly. Well, let's put it to you this way. What if they're what if they're using the power of their focus of intent or they're using their like we're not using any technological thing to call in a UFO. We're not using anything to um behave in an anti-structural way that then promotes some kind of manifestation of this phenomena. Yeah, but the UFO so, either has to itself be a being mm-hmm. or it has to be something that beings are flying in or flying you know as a drone well then this is where i ask you to you is there anything in a ufo in your opinion i mean just strictly your opinion it's not a carved in stone thing in your opinion right now when you see a flying saucer or you see a sphere or something like that is there somebody in it i don't know i mean i I don't know how to you know the thing i saw had windows but there wasn't anyone in it that i could see Mm -hmm. i think Sometimes yes, sometimes no. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Safe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I um, See, I don't. I don't think there's anything in there. Well, but you saw something land and it came up to you and mm. said open your eye and all that stuff. Right. Well, I saw some. I didn't see it land. I saw it come over top of me and, you know, and then I was just there. But is something like that um, – just another avatar of the same thing that we see walking around on legs. Like, I don't know. I don't you know, know what, I think what that is. I feel like the key to this whole thing is it's in Jacques Vallée's latest book. <laughs> it's the it's the fact that way back when people were seeing entire battles playing in the sky. Mm-hmm. They weren't just seeing UFOs or, you know, dragons. or I mean, they were seeing battles playing in the sky. They were seeing something that we can't possibly see now or don't possibly see now. Mm-hmm. I would say can't possibly see now because I think that we have a completely different relationship with 
our own sense of the nature of reality than we did back then. Because this gets me into, uh, you know, uh, when we say that that whatever this is conforms to our expectations, like what are we actually, what does that really mean? What, are the, what is it actually conforming to? Is mm-hmm. it conforming to our narcissism, this, this sort of, you know, well, we think we know where the future is headed, and so this thing just sort of plays along with that, you know, oh, oh, are you sure? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, the whole thing is, are you sure? I mean, it just, it, I don't know. I just got, I got to thinking about the fact that, um, you know, when did this start looking like aliens to us? It started looking like aliens to us the second that we could uh, conceive of science fiction in that way and project mm. ourselves onto other planets and, you know, into a Jetsons-like future. Mm. That's when this becomes, so it's like the human imagination projects a future on what it thinks is most possible uh, and then this thing responds by looking like that. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, people didn't project the future that way. They just had what was there, right? Which was these battles. <laughs> yeah. Life as it was. and um, Or a religious figure. Yeah, or a religious figure. And so that's what it looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, it looked like these battles in the sky or religious figures coming down and, and all of that. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about that. It just it just strikes me so on the tip of my tongue as to what what that really means, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, well, the first case that we discussed with Jacques was the the pearl uh, from Japan, and um, of course we know the pearl figures heavily heavily into uh, Japanese uh, culture, and and so you, you wonder, you know, was this just a very large globe of light that seemed to have some kind of solid mass in the center, or did this truly look like a giant pearl? Like, did it have that pearlescent look to it? Was it that solid that they could see spherical shape and and form and mass to it that it looked like a pearl? I mean, these, these are the things we don't know. Um, but I mean, but certainly something like that kind of. Um, I keep getting the Asia, you know, album cover popping in my head with the the dragon chasing the pearl of wisdom. I like to think that we. I don't even know that it's the 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 ability to, to kind of recognize or tap into science fiction because. Um, um, well, no, no, no. It's it's that we're imagining like here here it is. Okay, here you go. So people saw these battles playing out in the sky, right? Foot soldiers and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Um. But that was before we could actually get into the air. And once we got into the air with airplanes and hot air balloons and all of that, um, that wasn't happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Because then we had actual factual data on what goes on up there. Mm-hmm. And so it is with now the future. So now the thing that we don't, don't know about is, uh, well, other planets necessarily, mm-hmm. although that's changing somewhat. Um, but what we... St- started to sort of toy with really in the 1800s, I think was science fictions, you know, space travel, mm-hmm. uh, inner earth travel, you know, travel <laughs> essentially, um, projecting, you know, what's out there. I mean, before it was localized to what's in the sky, we didn't know what was in the sky. And then once we got up into the sky, we saw it and we went, Oh, okay. And now, you know, we go up to the moon, right? We go into outer space. And I think you could, you could argue that that's when this sort of starts to look like, oh, interdimensional, because we kind of know what's out there. You know, we've sort of been there, mm-hmm. uh, and it ain't there. 
Right. So it just sort of keeps jumping around with our with our I don't know our is it just fear is it imagination is it our hopes and dreams whatever it is whatever the the thing is that that we call the unknown that's sort of right around the corner as the thing that we're going to discover that's where we place this this says I am that which you are going to discover next mm-hmm. and then we get to that point of discovery and it ain't that mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> You know, what then is it becomes that? So, then it becomes something further. Yeah, I mean, then it becomes something point. further. It just keeps furthering itself out and furthering mm-hmm. itself out. So at that point, it's driving our evolution, which is goes back to exactly what we said before, which is you know Whitley's thing, which is you know this is what evolution looks like. This is how it happens. It's it, and it goes back to. Uh, but is it its own thing? Also, is the well? You know, is there? Is it just a purely an engine uh, co-created by our imagination with the universe in some way, the fabric <laughs> of reality, or uh, are there beings? Well, I certainly be- thought there were beings. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it sure as hell looks like it. Yeah, I mean, it does, and there's no denying that. Um, at least not to me. But is that you know, and that gets into the next sort of bit of problem, which is. <sighs> Are we seeing beings because this gets into the first person, second person, third person model mm-hmm. of reality? In third person reality, destiny happens to you. Reality happens to you. The fates, the gods, the this, the that. You see these battles playing in the sky and there's nothing you can do. Second person is relationship. And that's where I would argue we are now, right? We're in relationship with this thing. <laughs> and so it comes to us as people, still victimizing in some ways and space brotherly in other ways and whatever your expectation is. But the point is that it's something that you can relate to as an other. And so, of course, in first person would be the oneness thing, you know, adopting that as yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that's where we're heading? Do you think that's it? Because hmm. I, I always talk about this, you know, in terms of, well, OK, there are these beings and they've they're already seeing from the point of view of oneness. Right. And so, um what, I wrote something to you here. The science of oneness, this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, if there is one, the sciences of ours, our sciences, can't get to a science of oneness. Uh, so aliens, quote-unquote aliens, may not be thousands of years in advance of us in rational science. They may barely practice rational science. If they have a parallel science of a parallel mind that we deem irrational and therefore don't even acknowledge as science – that might be the real problem with comprehending their quote-unquote technology. Mm. So, I mean, part of the problem with with our, you know, with science's belief or whatever, and any of this UFO stuff, is in it, that that this thing wouldn't, you know, isn't playing by our rules. And, right. And UFO people say, well, of course they're not playing by our rules because they're thousands or millions of years ahead of us. And, and so <laughs> how, how, what would that look like to us? But no. What if it's just a completely parallel, off-the-grid of rationality mind that produces its own science, and that will necessarily look illogical to us and has nothing to do with rationality? In fact, uh, rationality might be a competing means of thought, put it wow. that way. In, in the same, I guess, you know, maybe the analogy would be to what Tiokasen talks about, you know, the way of the heart versus the way of the brain. You know, that might be one, one way of looking at it. Uh-huh. Uh, but what if those those beings, wherever they come from, the heart, the brain, the whatever, uh, if they have a technology, if they have a, a way of even an ancient aliens, right? 
Let's say some of that is true. Let's say mm-hmm. somebody okay. you know built a giant pyramid on a ledge on a mountaintop that was completely impossible. How did they get it up there? Mm-hmm. How did they carve it up? How did they do this and that and the other thing? Well, maybe they didn't do any of that because <laughs> they don't have to because mm-hmm. they don't think about the world in the same way that we do where we have to go step A, step B, step C. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to cut the rock. Now you're going to do that. Maybe they, it just doesn't work that way for them because they haven't they haven't looked at the world that way or or in a long time they haven't looked at the world that way. And so uh, it doesn't conform – the world doesn't conform to the way they think. Mm-hmm. But that's all if this is technology, right? Like well, what are we saying? That, that there isn't even a technology, that there isn't even a race of beings who are in tune with oneness that we can even – hash all of this out about right mm-hmm. we're saying that it's more us us just purely, <laughs> just purely a force of evolution it could be could be and where you are on the timeline is how you're going to experience this force of evolution way back when you're going to experience it again as the third person as something that's mm-hmm. happening to you or that you're seeing out there separate divorced from you nothing to do with you or a god coming down, um, mm-hmm. and then second person is this relationship. Well, who are these space brothers or these malicious space doctors or <laughs> whatever? These people who are just like us with the technology thousands of years ahead of us. And then, mm-hmm. and then what? And then we evolve into this oneness perspective where we are that. And so once you are that, then what does that mean? Then do you become – is that the singularity? I mean do you become then that yeah. thing which is – the evolver, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. do you become that yeah, thing, which, w- you know, which is the fabric of reality conscious? <laughs> mm. Well, that'd be a trip, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> and, then, yeah, I don't know. and then from there you go, oh, yeah, well, that, of course we made pyramids, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> we just, uh, just snapped my finger and there were pyramids because right. that's what I can do from this mindset. Well, Here's what I think about that I find interesting. I mean, this and is, I got to apologize for that only being half coherent because I'm really just thinking this off the top of my head. No, it's all right. Um, let's dial it back for a second and let's think about ghosts. You know, people see ghosts from the past. People see soldiers. People see innkeepers and all this sort of thing, and they go, "Well, it's they're ghosts." And so immediately, uh, the dead walk among us. For some people, for some people. It's uh, it's a replay they call it residual, that is uh, replaying when the time is right, when the when the atmosphere is right, when the right things are in play. The past repeats itself like a movie, and it, there's nobody there. It's just a visual, uh, or a sound, or an audible, or a smell. And so, what if what if things go both ways? And here's taking one of Terence's pages because you know. I tend to like to credit people for what they say. That's what separates you. <laughs> uh, God damn, I hope. You know, what if these things are um, some future thing that is haunting the skies of our day? And, uh, I mean, something clearly appears to be uh, evolving alongside of us, but at a, further, a point further in time. And so if we've got the past coming forward, why don't we have the future coming backwards? Uh, mirages in time. 
as as Terrence used to put it, what you know, these things being mirages in time is an interesting aspect to look at. Um, is this some future uh, dominance over gravity that we're seeing, and and uh, and or uh, what we will eventually as a species evolve into? I mean, we don't know. Uh, I saw a really interesting uh, outer limits the other night where I didn't catch it from the beginning, but somewhere along the line. When I picked it up, uh, people under the age of 18, I think, were becoming sick. They were listening to rave music, and, uh, and this rave music had been, had been picked up by some sort of uh, radio telescope, and somehow it filtered out the public one way or another. And the kids that were listening to it were getting ill, and they were breaking out in this horrible hive, like rotting flesh-looking thing, and it... Uh, was really bad, and and a guy who was in his twenties uh, figured it out, and um, um, you know he was uh, into astronomy and such, and he said, you know, here's where the direction where this signal came from, and look at that star. That star is gone ultraviolet, and uh, and look at it ten years ago, and it wasn't. It was like our sun, and so anything that was on that closer planet was murdered by its own son because it went ultraviolet. And so it turned out that this music there, or the, you know, everybody was looking at this, this signal from space was an act of war. It was killing people. Um, when in fact, no one was dying. They were becoming something else by listening to this music. And, uh, and if they listened to it long enough, they changed into a being that looked nothing like their former self other than being bipedal, but they became uh, highly reflective, almost chromy. And, uh, and their eyes, um, you know, mutated into something that could withstand what our sun was about to become, which was ultraviolet. And so this ended up being a gift from a species that really took a hard hit by their sun going this direction with its own, you know, evolution. Um, and so to avoid that happening to us, they gave us this gift, evolve into something else that can withstand what your son is about to go through. And so, you know, I often wonder, you know, is it, uh, is it a future that shouldn't be that it's haunting our skies and it is us. And, um, uh, and somehow there's a separate mechanism from all of that, uh, that figures into, you know, the same theory that I had about EVPs being um, dependent on a focus of intent in order to establish contact through time, rather than it being um, some ghost in the room that you can't see that is barely audible. That you're actually talking, you're skipping, you're using the skip. Guys who are into shortwave radio know what I'm talking about. You know, when the skip falls in, you can talk to Africa, for Christ's sake, or South America from Maryland. Um, immense distances. So what if that focus of intent becomes something that manifests something across time? And you're actually talking to someone, and they're hearing you through time. Um, I mean, all that kind of thing is very interesting to fool about with as well. So there's still some kind of I don't even know that I call it an other sometimes. I refer to it as an other because it certainly seems singular to itself. But 
what if it is strictly a, a, a mechanism? What if it is, and I don't mean a me- mechanical mechanism, but what if it is a mechanism by which reality works that we can't, you know, it's an intangible thing. We can't prove it, disprove it. It's not stable enough to be studyable, um, that sort of thing. I mean, this is all really interesting stuff to, to throw around, and it's as good as anything else, but does it have any bearing on the semblance of what it is? I have no idea. Um, but uh, I don't I, – I am starting to really go by the way of there's nothing in those flying saucers. There's nothing in that sphere. Um, we're not looking at a technology. We're looking at a manifestation of another mind. And perhaps, again, as we said a million times, maybe this is not how it would be perceived uh, or how it would manifest – but because we are in expectation of um, – or, or maybe – forget expectation. Maybe it comes down to the geometry of our own minds. I mean you, you compare the, the, uh, the thinking process of, of a person today as opposed to someone from 1801, as opposed to someone from 1701, 1601 to 1501 and so forth. I mean the, the – the, just the – the process of thought and the depth of thought, I would think, uh, would be geometrically larger and more complex. The mind would be more complex than, you know, 200 years ago. And so the complexity of our own minds is our complexity taking this burning scintilla that's thrown out at us from the other and manifesting it into a flying saucer. Well, let's, uh, so at that point, it's not just another; it's both of us that are, that the manifestation represents both of us. But even the both of us, even again, that's a second person perspective, right? And so mm-hmm. that's where that's how we can see it right now. But somewhere down the line, when we become that, we'll have seen that it was us all along; that there was no them and us. <laughs> it was always yeah. us because at the end of the day, what is oneness really? It's it's a uh, you know one consciousness manifesting in numerous bodies. Some of those bodies are currently, that being humanity, <laughs> unconscious of it. <laughs> yeah. And so, if if evo- evolution is a process of just becoming more aware, um, then what happens when you have that ultimate awareness? Then then there is there is no separation. There's probably no separation between bodies either. Mm. Uh, it just becomes this sort of necessary illusion you just sort of see it that way as this Hmm. i say necessary illusion i mean it's completely it would be a completely different point of view but here here's an interesting thing that that just ran through my head as as you were talking um to say that this is the force of evolution well ufology and ghost people and all of that i mean these are all fringe topics right right so it's easy to laugh them off and go well you know, how self-aggrandizing to think that you're at the forefront of anything. But the fact is, it's always the fringe groups that uh, impress upon the mainstream. And then whatever pieces of the fringe hold um, are what become the mainstream. Right? And so we see this in politics all the time. It's always the extremes. Uh, even at, when I worked at Nickelodeon, you know, uh, they would do these, you know, sort of pseudo-focus groups, I guess, with like skater punk kids, you know, young kids who are in the fringe of their groups because they wanted to know what the next cool trend was going to be. Mm-hmm. Because the cool trends always come from the outskirts. 
And the trends in thought always come from the outskirts. And the political pressures that move us come from the outskirts. And yet the mainstream, because they're the mainstream, sort of laugh and poo-poo the outskirts. Hmm. I mean, this is the nature of of the push and pull of the tides of human uh, understanding on all these different levels, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens if the mainstream doesn't hold? If the middle can no longer hold, um, what happens to that dynamic, do you think? I mean, are we at that point where the middle can no longer hold? I know that you sometimes see that as one day we'll all just wake up and be like, why am I working? <laughs> why am I doing something I don't want to do? Just have that moment of, huh, what, what was I just doing? And other people have their different version of, you know, some sort of rapture or some sort of Armageddon. You know, nature goes haywire or the singularity that, you know, moves everyone into this uncontrollable thing. Well, that's that's the whole thing, isn't it? It's this point that we all in or a lot of us, I think, in our own ways think we're getting to of being out of control and thrust into unknown territory. If that feeling or if that fact is occurring on the level of the mainstream for for the, the majority, for the middle, then what does that do for the fringe? What does the fringe become? And what becomes of that whole current, the whole push-pull of the tides that create our forward momentum? Mm. What happens? Well, your guess is as good as mine there. <laughs> I mean, I don't... There's something to I, think about, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you, you definitely... I, at that point, there's no reason for this thing to even be involved with us. <laughs> how far is enough? I mean, how far is uh, how far is where we're supposed to be? You know, I mean, y- you talk about evolving to the one point where we realize it was always us. Well, how far ahead is that, and where is that? And um, well, the joke I mean, of it is that that's because that's always been our nature. That that we've always had the chance to realize that, and we always mm-hmm. will. So it's as close as next door and as far away as the nearest star, right? I mean, so it's um, (laughs) – Well, it's this weird – you know, there's a strange thing of um, with that oneness perspective comes an authoritarian language. And uh, I think I've spoken about on this show. I'm reading this book called The The Guru Papers, Mm -hmm. which is all about cult mindset and and so forth. But I got – you know, I have to take slight issue with what they're saying because there is unfortunately an authoritarian – tone to saying this is the way things are. And there is a piece of me, for instance, that knows somewhat of the way things are. And it's not a cop-out to say, well, you can't know what I know until you adopt that mindset. That's not a cop-out. That just is the fucking fact of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the other fact of it is the authoritarianism and that becomes the cults and all that. So I feel like you have these people, uh, you know, Buddhist, whatever, let's just go with Buddha because he's the easiest to figure out uh you got a buddha who wakes up um and then he wants to talk about it right and he he wants to tell people what this whole other mind frame is this oneness thing that he's tapped into um but the people want to make that into an authoritarian structure because they don't want that oneness mindset even though they keep telling themselves they do what they really want is to bring themselves into that oneness mindset they really they want themselves to be the center of everything Mm-hmm. When giving up the self is all you need to do. So it's always been there, but in hearing the explanation, we just incorporate it into another authoritarian structure where, well, he becomes the authority on that. 
Right. You know, and then you talk about, well, did you hear what Buddha said? Well, what do you think about that? It's like, well, none of it, you know, and then, and then, but, and then it's dead. And then it's dead. But then for Buddha to then turn around and say, it's dead. And here's why, you know, um, is to even further fuck people up because then that becomes like, well, we'll never understand, you know, it's this mystical thing. Uh, why, why is he telling us this? If in telling us this, it's dead. Is this something that we can never achieve? You know, it, it becomes this whole confused mess of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it's always been. But it's always been with us. But now what happens when that confused middle <laughs> that that these enlightened people speak to every now and again goes the way of the dodo bird? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. It's just, uh, it, it does, <sighs> does it not feel as though we're at least at a point where that type of uh, authoritarian structure doesn't appeal to people. Or well, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> clearly. With, with the exception of, like, you know, obviously the fundamentalists who are fighting back, right? I mean, this R- is well, you sure, politically, yeah. but that's what that is. That's like the old guard fighting back. So you've got this old guard fighting back, but essentially they're fighting back to preserve what they think is, is right and holy and all that nonsense. See ufology current day. <laughs> yeah. But the point is that it's not appealing to, to the new generation of people. Um, so what happens when it's not, a, when it's not appealing, but they still don't grasp it. They still don't grasp what's un- underneath that and what, and why it went wrong. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the why well, it went you, wrong you, is they built yeah. religions around it and all that well, stuff, but there's you that thing a, there. You enter a dark age. I mean, that's, you know, that's what happens. You stagnate. Well, do you think we're stagnating? Do you think we're in a dark age? I mean, not entering one. Do you think we're in one right now? Have you seen television lately? <laughs> um, Let's not go there again. <laughs> in many ways, yeah, I think so. Do you think uh, you ever know you're in a dark age? Because we always seem to keep putting it off like, when's this going to happen? When are the doors in our world going to well, close? It's like, no, we already went down that road. This is well, it. I, See, the thing is, is I th- I, it depends on which way you look at it. It depends on which way that you want to view us, uh, us as a species. I mean, if you want to talk about uh, medical technology or discoveries in science and uh, discoveries in uh, astrophysics and <clears throat> excuse me, and that sort of thing, um, I think we're learning a lot more about what we don't know. I hear this a lot on uh, the Science Channel and the History Channel. Like, there's more that we, the more we find out, the more we figure out that, well, guess what? Our old theories aren't really holding up. And so everybody's, I feel like, in a certain way, that a lot of scientists stand around looking at their feet, going, well, yeah, I don't know. I, a, I, don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me, uh, when I first heard it, you know, it's a little disturbing. Like, really, don't you don't know? Like, I thought we knew certain things to be true. And certain things we do know to be true. But um, the more we look into those things, the more we find out they're not exactly right and there's something else at play and we, we can't put our finger on it. And so, therefore, we're building, you know, humongous mile-wide colliders to figure it out. Uh, we've got to find this particle. We've got to understand this. We've, we need to know. And um, and so, in terms of the thirst to know more and the thirst to go beyond what science says is correct, I think definitely in that sense, there's a definite progression. The problem is, is to me, it's still based in that whole materialist mindset. Like, there is no room for 
the other. There is no room for paranormal. Not in the sense that you think paranormal, but unlike the norm. Uh, and all of the variables. They're not I don't think they're taking into consideration all of these different variables and that the variables change depending on who's watching. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. So but the thirst for knowledge is there. But on the other hand, when you talk about the average Joe, get up, go to work, earn a paycheck to buy food, all of that is becoming I think for the average guy, um, I mean, a guy at work the other day, like we were standing in the coffee room and he's like, there's something inherently wrong about this. And I said, wrong about what? And he said, this, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Like, this is not what we were supposed to be doing. And I hear more people say that these days. And that to me is a product of being stagnated for so long. You're doing what your father's father's father did. You're doing the same thing. And the world is just eating up more and more and more. And we're eating up more and more and more of the world. And I think people are reaching that critical mass state where it's like something's wrong. Something's not right. This shit's got to stop, as the man said in Zeitgeist 2. This shit's got to go. Um, it, but, but nobody knows where the go is. Nobody knows like where's the accelerator for that? You know, how do we how do we well, get out of this? Like we can't get out where? of this. Here, <laughs> you know? Here's the thing. It, it, go to a different system. I mean, I think this is the, the sort of precious point we're at, which is, for instance, you just take the global economy and we know this shit ain't working. Right. And, and it ain't working in a way that that we're just in a recession or a depression or whatever. I mean, no, the whole thing is broken. The whole global economy, you know, capitalism mm-hmm. is played out. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Do you go to another system? I feel like we're at that point where we've played out a number of hands to see that this entire mind frame that keeps playing out these hands and keeps thinking it's evolving is actually a dead end. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this gets me back to, I think... Our perspective is the dead end, the perspective mm. that produces such things in the first place. Mm. And that's the part that we've got to get real with, as Dr. Phil would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think across the board, and I think this gets into, you know, science. Well, I mean, science, too. I mean, in a way, materialist science is uh, in, on many fronts a dead end in that quantum theories, non-locality, blah, blah, blah. We already know that. Uh, or at least have a good suspicion that the the foundation upon which reality is uh, manifest um, ain't mechanical. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so why are we still treating it like it's mechanical, and why are we still presenting it to the public like it's mechanical? Um, mm-hmm. So it's like I, I feel like we know all of these things, and we're we're still at that stage of denial of because what does it mean? Like once you come out of that denial, what are you really saying? What you're really saying is we need uh, a transformation and and evolving through time uh, as we've been doing ain't going to cut it anymore. There needs to be just a complete total, I think, metamorphosis, and that means necessarily metamorphosis into something else. Right. And if that something else is a fuller definition of, of humanity, it's still going to not be the one that we have now, right? And so it's going to look alien, or it's going to look illogical, or it's going to look scary. You know what I mean? It's it's all of these things that we're seeing play out. But I think we got to fucking bite the bullet here and 
and and just simply ponder ponder this, you know? Like take a second away from the iPhone to just you know <laughs> get, drop the d- scary birds or whatever the fuck that game is. Angry birds. <laughs> angry birds. <laughs> just drop the angry birds and uh and just really ponder what this means. Ponder what we're really saying here as a species to ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> What are we doing exactly? Hmm? What are we doing and what's the answer? And if the answer is we don't know what the answer is, then let's fucking reflect on what that really means hmm? and see what comes of it. I yeah. think that's the, the I think the problem is is that we reflect on these things in the hopes of finding an answer. And once again, that answer is going to be of the same mindset. It's going to be something that thrusts us forward as we are. And and I guess what I'm arguing here is that we can no longer sustain ourselves as we are. That's not what we are. What we are ain't what we are. And we're at the point where we're, it, we're you know, it's time to know that. And once you do know that, then then what happens? Perhaps <laughs> you become the thing that you're supposed to be, you know? The mm. child grows up and whatever, takes the stage. Who knows? Um, but man, is it time to get to that point or what? <laughs> I, uh, who wants to go to work tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, um, and that's not to say that there wouldn't be work to do. Um, yeah, it would just be a completely other definition. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know, Jerry. I, you know, it's as far as all of this. I mean, uh, pussyfooting tr- our way into this ain't working. You know? <laughs> like, like no. the planet cannot sustain us. We know this. Mm. The planet certainly knows this if we don't. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just funny, you know, what happened to even just a year or two ago where global warming was, for a good portion of the country, was a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, all this nature, ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Well, they ain't ha, ha, ha anymore because entire states are gone. <laughs> you know, like how much yeah. more of that do we need to yeah. figure this out? This, this, this little experiment is over. In its current incarnation, and no amount of trying to keep us chugging along, keep you know, get along to get along, that's not going to work anymore. So what are we fucking saying here, you know? And what is this phenomenon well, telling us? Well, I look at it. I, I mean, if you, I mean, just even try this for a moment. Throw away the the Earth. Throw away the tornadoes, the hurricanes, the tsunamis, and all of that. Throw that all out the window. Look at people today. Look at the behavior of people today versus 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. When we were kids, look at how people behaved and look how they behave now. And you can see something's wrong. I mean, it's very clear. People are not happy. Um, But people want to give the outward appearance of being happy. Everybody knows what's wrong, you know. The problem is is that... that, uh, I think just like you've said, it, it's, it's, it's not working. We've been ground down. I mean, we really have been ground down. I mean, as I said, your father, your father's father. I mean, what are you gonna, where do you go from here? Do you see your kids, kids, kids doing what you're doing? Part and this is, last part thing? Part of it is being ground down, but part of it is also, I think, in the evolution through this perspective mm-hmm. that we have, we have come to define ourselves and come to know ourselves in different ways. Psychology, for instance— mm-hmm. Now, of course, I'm sure the Hindus are going to disagree that this is a new thing because certainly uh, they've dealt with psychological archetypes through their religion um, for many, many moons. 
But in terms of a science, psychology and psychiatry uh, came along and said, look, we can we can figure you out. We can figure out what the person is. Um, and first it was psychology. We'll figure out who you are. And then the brain chemists came along and said, well, we'll just we've figured it out. And what you are is a bunch of uh, chemical reactions in a brain that we can make feel better with this pill. You're, you're a meat sack. Yeah, you're a meat sack. Um, <laughs> so but neither of these answers are whole, but they're the best that those sciences can give us. Right. And so the best that science can give us is finished. Mm-hmm. And we're just running on fumes now, you know, and but that's not because we've been beaten down. That's because uh, we've gotten to the end of the street here with this with this mindset that says we're going to figure all this out <laughs> rationally. Mm-hmm. We're going to mm-hmm. reduce everything rationally. We're not going to reduce everything rationally. It's nonsense. Yeah. We're going to reduce everything <laughs> to the point at which things can be reduced. And then we're going to confront the new set of questions. And that's what we're doing, right? Like, that's what we just said with science, with quantum theory and blah, blah, blah. Well, as Emerald says, when you reduce the wine, you end up with the yum-yums at the bottom of the pan. And that's where <laughs> we're at, right? I mean, that's what it is, right? And while I got a chuckle out of you for that, it's time to lighten the mood with a joke. Go ahead. The Dalai Lama walks into a pizza joint and says, can you make me one with everything? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> that was it, huh? Yeah, you don't get it? Come on, you? You gotta get it. Can you make me one with everything? <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? No, I got it. Okay, <laughs> <God> damn. <laughs> uh, well, now that I've pissed off the Dalai Lama, onward. <laughs> if we get back to this whole phenomenon and the pre- presentation of it and all of that, you know what just kind of popped into my mind, so I'm going to say it while I can still remember it. If we reach a point, uh, and maybe this is the point, maybe this is, maybe this is one reason that, uh, that this stuff presents itself. And, uh, and we spend, I mean, despite the fact that this is considered a subculture uh, or a, uh, a specialized interest, there's a lot of people with a lot of interest in this, or there wouldn't be all of these television programs about the paranormal. Um, so there's a lot of people thinking about this, turning this over in their head. And I think, like me, I think a lot of them are becoming kind of complacent about some of the data that's being presented to them, and they're looking for something else. And I think, in no small part, that's why this show has been as successful as it's been, is because we, we do reject or kind of discard uh, what doesn't pass a certain filter. And so people are looking for those deeper aspects of this thing, which I think we tend to abstractually go into. And so if people are finding the deeper aspects more interesting, is that going to lead them to something? In other words, one day, perhaps sooner than later, are we going to realize that the flying saucer, let's just put it into that context, the flying saucer is something that we have manifested. And so is the whole point of the conversation between us and the other, meaning sightings and all of this sort of thing, is the whole point of that, look what you can create. Now what else can you do? (laughs) You know, 
that thought just jumped into my head, and so I'm spitting it out. But if you look at that, and we do find out, guess what? This is us. We're manifesting this thing on our own. For no apparent reason, you know, for no, you know, there's, there is no why to this. This is just what happens. The focus of intent charges this thing and makes it happen. So what else are we capable of doing? If we're capable of that, then what else are we capable of doing? And at that point, does the world not transform? Do we not realize that, guess what, this isn't what mom and dad put us here for, you know, uh, that, that there is more and that if we can create that and that's us and we're doing that, then there is no more disease because we don't want it. And so we, we somehow that evolves. That's how we evolve. And by doing that, wouldn't you become something completely different than what you are now? Wouldn't that be the metamorphosis at that point? Maybe, but I think it's even... I, I mean, just the first stepping stone, not the answer as a whole, but the first step into we are more than what we think we are. Which seems to be yeah, a common yeah, thread but, but, in but this again, sort of thing. I think to really step out, you have to acknowledge that the voice saying, look at what you can do, is you. Is you. Yeah. You're talking <laughs> to yourself. Yes. Yes. Hmm? What if? Yeah. Well, I think, I, I mean, I think that's ultimately the answer any way you slice it, you know? Because, you do. Well, I think that's ultimately the answer whether it's correctly presented in, in any of the things that we've said. Mm-hmm. But I think that oneness is oneness. Again, I get back to that. I get back to one is one. <laughs> mm. That's all one is. Uh, and so if if that is our nature, then uh, and that is then it doesn't matter where you're from. You know, it doesn't matter if you're from Pluto. It doesn't matter if you're from another dimension. It doesn't matter if you're the fabric of reality presenting us with options. I mean, one is one. And one will know oneself when one wakes up to that. Hmm. So one, when you say one, that includes others. Yes. In other words, I ask how far does one stretch? <laughs> you yeah, know, all, how far does one go? One goes one everywhere. One is deep in every direction as you can conceive. Okay. So that being said, when the man in the black outfit said to me, um, in terms of space, planets, um, you know, that sort of thing, seeing that sort of thing being presented and him saying to me, what do you think any of that's real? How does that figure in? Well, I mean, certainly you can take that a whole bunch of ways, right? But um, the way I've experienced it, (laughs) if I can say that, which sounds silly, uh, is that all of this is the necessary manifestation, the necessary illusions of one consciousness. That formlessness has to express itself. Has to. There's no, there's no, I mean, an intelligence is being intelligent in simply being, right? So if you have this this formless intelligence uh, that is just being, what is it being? Well, it's being isness. It's being everything. It's being all things. Mm. So from that large grand perspective, yeah, no, none of this is real. This is all forms, uh, as many forms as can be imagined by formless awareness, because it, it's essentially solidifying formless awareness into component parts, because something has to be seen, experienced, felt, 
physicalized, however you want to put that. So, okay. so from that perspective, it's completely it's completely irrelevant. From from our perspective, from this this year perspective, mm-hmm. you know, the table is the table. <laughs> sure, outer space and inner space are different. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I I mean, I want to go. I want to ask another question after this, so you don't have to elaborate on this part. But this is kind of like I was having a discussion with a friend at work today who. Um, we we talk about the psychedelic stuff a lot, and um, I was talking to him about uh, you know I, do, I donated this money to uh, to Dennis's book McKenna book, and uh, I got um, this pass to um, like a like an online seminar, which technologically was amazing because they had a camera on Dennis and a cam- camera on uh, uh, Doctor Edward Luma Luna, sorry. And then everyone who was attending this little forum had a camera. And so when you went to ask a question, you just typed in your question into the host, and the host would then bring you up on camera, and everyone could see you, and you asked your question, and then it went back and forth. So it was, tele- it was essentially a, you know, a video conferencing tool, but it was really amazingly fluid and, and great, and I had a, a great time. I, I, just, I had an electrical storm. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't hang with all of it. But one of the questions I asked was, you know, being involved with the paranormal and looking at all of this stuff. I mean, you and I have run into, uh, in our past, the sessions about hypnosis, abduction, and the perception thereof, of a cultural contaminative aspect to it. And so when you're talking about cultural contamination, and you look at how much people talk about their experiences on psychedelics, uh, you've got cultural contamination going on. And I said, so... When you're talking about having coherent, repeatable experiences that different people have who don't know each other and haven't communicated, do you factor in that? I asked, I asked this to the group. They did, they did not get my question, so I didn't get an answer, so don't, don't expect one, listeners. But um, they ran out of time, essentially, before I, my question could get there. But um, you know, I wondered, like, how does that work? Do you factor that in? And I'm, I'm, in looking on my own today – uh, you see people who have no contact with modern civilization in any form, no radio, no TV, no nothing. They've independently you know, grown and developed culture and community completely separate from anything that we know as, of, as life. And they are seeing the same things. They are seeing beings that we would call aliens. They are seeing UFOs. They are seeing, uh, you know, Hobgoblins and this sort of thing, you know, all throughout the lore of folklore, folkloric images and avatars, they're seeing all of this kind of thing on their own, independently. And I mentioned this to the coworker at work, and um, uh, and it was interesting little little synchronicity in that um, I said to him, you know, I explained this very thing to him, and he says, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who's very well versed in. Uh, the mushroom and ayahuasca and DMT and all of this. And he said that he's not really ready to accept that what is, what is perceived underneath of these compounds is some other reality. And what if it is something that exists in all of us that is part of the mind? That whether I swallow five grams dried mushrooms and you swallow five gri- dried grams, that we both go to the same cellular structure in the brain that then manifests this perception for us of a a pyramid, a green one, 
um, with new blocks. It's a solid, smooth object, and it looks like onyx, let's just say. And everyone who reaches that plateau sees the same thing because that is a chemical reaction in the brain that induces this visual. And as detailed as it may be and as real and as tactile as it may feel, it is a byproduct of the brain. And my answer to him was, what the fuck is the difference? <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. I mean, I look at, uh, you know, there's a thing on Hume that, uh, you know, where he's talking to one of his his student analyst, and, and uh, he's telling her this story about this girl who uh, came to him and she said she went to the moon and she fought this beast and she lost the battle and this sort of thing. And isn't that amazing? And, you know, the, the analyst says, well, you know, she wasn't really on the moon. This was a dream of some sort. He goes, no, she was on the moon. <laughs> and so, therefore, by perceiving these things, these things are as real as anything else. And that makes you look at the whole of reality in a whole different way. I mean, you're talking about the table being real. This is what we know. That's only because this is the most, I don't know, it's not even a controllable reality, but it's the most, uh, is it the most stabilized, I guess you could say, for some people? It's the most stabilized. It's the one that we most socially, uh, most, most assuredly rest solid consciousness within. But what if this weren't that? What if this were the dream and dreaming was the real? You know, that's that's where I question, like, what is what? Where is what? And when you're talking about oneness and you're talking about, you know, we've talked about the multiverse and the string theory where, you know, in one universe, you and I are mortal enemies and – uh and I'm not married to my wife, and I have no child, and that sort of thing. I mean, there's, is that oneness all-encompassing of all of that as well? And if so, for you, here's, here's where I ask this – is, this is the question that I finally figured out how to formulate to ask you. If we are to evolve into another reality, which is essentially what you're talking about. This is not just a change in us and in, in, to morph into something else, to have this metamorphosis into something unrecognizable to our previous self. You're talking about something that is perceptually going to change everything. Our interaction with what we know as reality will be completely different, I'm assuming, and I think it's a fair assumption to make that if you completely change from who you are now, that what you're going to become is not going to be in any way and any semblance of what's going to be recognizable even in this reality. Now, that said, you're talking about a total change of our perceptual reality. If that's the case, why are we here at all? Why did man start as this single individual and, and have that feeling of self-awareness and being a person, being an individual. I mean, I hear a lot that you say about getting rid of the individual and becoming more with the one and identifying more with that, trying to reach to that point and then to metamorphosize into something else. You're talking about changing the world is essentially what it is. It's not just us. It's everything. And so if that's the case, why did we start from this ground level zero position of the individual, the one, the haves, the have-nots, uh, kingship domination, male domination, 
that I mean, why did all that have to happen at all? Why didn't we start from oneness? Is that an answerable question? Why would we be incarnated as we are right now? Why would we be this? You're not going to like the answer. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> there are two ways to answer that. One, um, if you go on the timeline answer, mm-hmm. the timeline answer is um, monkey wakes up mm-hmm. and monkey immediately self-reflects fear um, the combination of these things become this ego self that mm-hmm. it then has to protect. The non-timeline answer is because all things must be expressed, including the human being going through that, because that is what formless awareness is doing in being. It is being all things that can possibly be expressed, real or imaginary. So we had to be the individual to understand what that even means. To understand there's a difference between us now and us 100 years from now. Yeah, th- this the, the me- I think that the mechanism, I think the way that I would answer it, I guess, is that the mechanism um, of that type of evolution or that waking up must be expressed, but we no longer have to be the ones expressing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the message of a Buddha, a Jesus, a Quetzalcoatl, a whoever, you know, whoever the big leader is. And is this is – this- Throughout all it's, time, is you don't have to be the one expressing that. Well, and and all things being expressed, is that some kind of just rule of somewhere? I mean, where did that come from? That just I mean, is. I think that's the point where you're going to get the really unsatisfactory. Because there is no of, a real. There is no. no there's okay. no option. There's there's no choice. I mean, okay. <laughs> it it's kind of a hard thing. I mean, it's like so that's a singularity. Yeah, I mean the oneness, <laughs> the the oneness and separation. Both are are equally important or or necessary. How about that? Both mm-hmm. are equally necessary. Like the table being the table, all you know, all of that is is equally necessary to it not being the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, this being reality is equally necessary to dream reality transcending this, if if indeed it does. Okay, because <laughs> oneness has no choice but to. But to be. And so the way it bees, the way it exists, is by being all things. And so we, as an aspect of those all things, I mean, uh, are the creature that can wake up to the fact of that, to that perspective. You know, I guess that's sort of the way I frame this, is that that we're the thing that doesn't just have to be the creature going about in time and, and waking up through slow evolution and all of that. Right. Where the thing that does have the ability to wake up to the one perspective, oh. um, or not, <laughs> and if not, then there are consequences because that's our charge. That's what we're. If we're here to do anything at all, that's what we're here to do. Hmm. I don't know. Did that answer it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand a lot more about what you mean now when you talk about this this kind of material. Um, a lot more than I did here, but it's still I still have a hard time getting my head around a lot of it. I probably understand it better than I think I do, but I it, it takes me a while to well, to get make, my head does around. Does it make sense it. to you that that if you take away all things, there's just I mean, there is this intelligence, there's formless intelligence, there's a concept, this nothingness concept. Well, yeah, yeah, but when you say take away all things, that right there is a very hard thing for me to conceptualize at all. 
Well, but it's only it's only to make the point. But the fact is, there is no taking away of all things because there's no again singularity. There's no thing separate from. There is no formless awareness separate from its forms. Mm-hmm. Like this is just an easy way to break it down, put it on a timeline, and go. Well, before form, there was formlessness. Well, what's that formlessness doing? That formless awareness. What is that doing? Well, it's creating all forms, and it is those forms. Therefore, <laughs> it's not separate from them. There is no like God divorced from its creation. Going here is my miracle. Oh, so you don't. God has no choice. <laughs> so okay. So when you when you hear you do you you don't agree then that. Um... Uh, my, going back to my earlier question, like, why are we in these containers? Why are we people working a job and doing this? So you, if someone were to say to you, well, this is, this is oneness, or you could flip this to say God, um, this is oneness that, um, is manifesting us, uh, in an effort to realize itself again. No. You would not agree with that. No. It, it's, it has no choice. It's manifesting us. It's manifesting, uh, us and one of the things that we can do is have that perspective. Mm-hmm. It's manifesting all aspects of everything. It's manifesting everything that is possible. How about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that's possible is that. <laughs> so sure, it's manifesting that, but that doesn't mean that that's our chart. That's not what we're doing here. You know, I mean, God doesn't need to wake up to God's self. Mm-hmm. Um, the the pieces need to wake up to the whole. The whole is already whole. The whole knows what it is. Um, okay. So if we're pieces, it's the uh, it's the hologram, right? It's the holographic film, the piece that is the whole. Mm-hmm. You chop off the holographic uh, picture of an apple, and you've got eight not eight pieces of apple, but eight entire pictures of that apple. Okay. Uh, and that's what we are. <laughs> uh, and we happen to have the ability to acknowledge that or remain as pieces. So uh, let me ask you this: <laughs> If all of this is your this is your outlook on things, and this is your, you know, and I guess I should preface this by telling our audience that this isn't necessarily my own. But when you have this, um, you know, this is your viewpoint of all of this stuff, and you know this, um, what keeps you going in this? Isn't it kind of superfluous to keep going with this, to, to keep questioning this when you kind of already can draw your lines back to the oneness thing and, and you know, that this is in some sense us uh, or is that not altogether clear for you and that's why you keep poking at this subject? Well, it's something Streber and I talked about on his show, which is, have I fucked myself? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh had in this, a parallel universe, yes. Well, had this yeah, had this as an experience, <laughs> had the innate choice to live on it as a stage, to basically do what I'm saying we all need to do, or come back and, and be me and talk about it. And I decided to come back and be me and talk about it. Um, so am I stuck here? Because now there's no trying to get back to that, because then I've got this image in my head of what that is, right? Right. Uh, so that's me. That would be me, you know, trying to bring me with me as I go. See, it's, I mean, the same rules here apply to me. So on the one hand, yeah, I, there, there's no point to me being here now <laughs> that, I can, okay. that I can tell. I've written my book. Uh, I've said my piece. Uh, mm. I'm redundant. Um, on the other hand, uh, there's, there's nothing I can really do about it. <laughs> I mean, see, at one point I had asked you, um, you were in this experience and you had the, 
you know, the, the, the I am experience I'm talking about. You were in that experience and you had the choice to either be in that place and stay at that place or to come back and talk to people about it. And you chose to come back and talk to people about it. And I said to you, well, if you'd have stayed, would you be dead? And you said, no, I, but I would be something unrecognizable to everybody else uh, and probably a pretty formidable being on its own. Um, Although I might be wrong about that. Uh, okay. I might, be, I might be wrong about that only in that – because I was thinking about it. It's like, it, well, it, I mean essentially I guess what I would argue is that that then you're a non-local being, right? You've got the, the fly's eye perspective of all of these different mm-hmm. lenses going off at the same time. Well, but but then one of those is me. So could I not relate to you as me and and still secretly be that being? Probably, you know, maybe I could. Maybe I could. Well, that's where I was that. going because at that point, you know, it's not like it's not like throughout history. I mean, I put it to you this way. Although it's possible, I look at human history and I go, has anybody transformed into something truly fucking formidable? <laughs> And the answer is, not to my awareness, in which case, you would have been the first. And, and you know, is it possible for a guy from, you know, Boston to have stumbled onto the key to the universe? Yeah, it's entirely possible. Do I find it probable? I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> uh, and so... You're, what you're saying is that one of those pieces would still be you, in, in which case there could have been other people who did walk through the purple door and become that other thing. You know, I mean, I have to wonder at that point, would we, number one, would we recognize it in someone? I think if you met someone who had gone down the same path as you have and stayed there, I think you would recognize it. I suspect. I don't know that. Um I think others that had gone through it would. I think authenticity recognizes authenticity. Right. And so at that point, I would say, you know, do you, do you look at this and go, if I'd have stayed, when you say a part of me would have been able to be me and relate to everyone else? Well, that question seems redundant because when I say my, my next sentence was going to be something to the effect of when you transcend what you are now into something else, where do you go? Uh, and the answer is like you were saying, like a fly's eyes where it sees all of these different possibilities at the same time and is able to, you know, realize all of these things at the same time. I wonder if there's not an, like an automatic piece of you that keeps on living in this world, despite the fact that the bulk of you has gone somewhere else. Well, I'm interested in what does it do to us as a species? You know, if, if we were to all do that, I mean, Mm-hmm. If you go by evolution, um, it looks as though it compacts us into our childhoods so that when you're a little kid, you're basically a monkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got monkey mentality. Yeah. Uh, and then the more you grow, you know, you've got monkey mentality. And then I would think that you also have third person mentality where you do see battles and shit in the clouds. <laughs> yeah. uh, so... If this is an extension of that, then it's not like you cut off uh, from all of this. You know, it's not one to the exclusion of the other. It's transcend and include, not transcend and divorce. You know, mm. I, I wonder. I just I wonder if if like this perspective that we have now as adults, 
wouldn't be just a piece of our childhood. Something that we would just grow through really quickly. Mm. Third person perspective, second person, first person. Or monkey, uh, third, second, first. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I tend to think that's true. It's just, it's interesting to think about that, that, that all-encompassing perspective of being able to, to identify as all of the physical objects and organisms and the spirit that moves through and as them at mm. the same time. I mean, Jesus Christ, man, then it's just, it's just hard to, and, and then me, there's me in the back of my head going, Oh God, I'm dying. I have a headache or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. It, w- would I, would anyone have to, uh, hone in on a perspective of you in your head? Um, would you have to concentrate on it in order to relate to people as they are or, Right. That's or not. I mean, I don't. I don't. Probably not. Probably once you get there. I mean, these are all questions that we have in complete ignorance. And once you're there, it's just everything is natural because that's your nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's that. That's the problem uh, uh, when we fear the future or fear ourselves going through something like this and transforming mm-hmm. to something we don't recognize. Well, that only looks scary from our perspective, but the going through it is completely natural. Even having the Kundalini movements. That's only scary when I think about it because it, quote unquote, shouldn't be from the perspective of me as a, you know, materialist, American, born and raised, whatever. um, This shouldn't be happening. And yet this is my nature. And so when it's happening, it's completely natural. Even even as a kid thinking about being an adult and how unnatural that is. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to. And then you go through it. And just as you're going through it, you don't even notice it because until you have a midlife crisis. (laughs) Right, until you buy the Porsche, you know, <laughs> the girlfriend and the wife catches you and all that. Yeah. So even talking about it sets it up as if we have a choice, as if there's this thing that we can be afraid of or embrace. And if it truly is us, then we don't have that choice. Mm. And that fact is going to catch up to us sooner or later. Mm. I think it's catching up to us now, frankly. <laughs> mm. I, I see a radical change, but I don't see a radical change the way you describe. I do it at, at some point. And Lisa and I have talked about this. My wife and I have talked about this a lot, um, just in the sense of the world as it exists right now and how fed up people are with all sorts of different things, uh, fed up with TV, fed up with gadgets, fed up with money fed up with jobs and working to buy shit we don't need etc cetera, etc cetera. you know i see a radical change in the way like one day somebody's going to just step up i think it's going to take one person to step up and say enough i've had enough and that's going to start something that's going to start something else and something else and something else and everything will just be radically different i don't think it's going to come at an easy price i don't i don't i think there's going to be uh, probably loss of life because there are certain factions of all of this that want to remain in the control that it's accustomed to. And then well, I think know, you could be you right. Know. I mean, history is on your side with this. I mean, this is the way. Well, then I think I see your works. change coming forth out of that kind of change um, in that sense that where we abandon life as we know it right now, which scares the shit out of a lot of people. But just think about that for a minute. If you didn't have to go up get up and go to work tomorrow, and the need for things was removed. The need for things no longer mattered. The only thing that really mattered 
was uh, having enough to eat. Christ, I mean, the whole have and the have-nots, the whole, you know, uh, it is fucking amazing to think about. I mean, just everybody just try this mental exercise for a minute, you know? Uh, all the money that's been spent on the wars in the Middle East on, by America. Think about that kind of money. Think about every bomb that's dropped. Think about every bullet that's fired on both sides. Think about the money on both sides. And think about what that could have been used for rather than killing people. I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong here. I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm still an American. I still, you know, think about if we put as much effort into that, into, you know, being each other uh, and, 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 and trying to view this planet as a planet of people rather than my side, your side, here's the line, don't fucking step across it or I'll cut your head off. Um, think about that mentality being done away with because the people in charge are no longer in charge anymore. <laughs> think about what that would be like. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody from back in the day who was, you know, I mean, at this point, there's a lot of Russian people that work in the United States. We've all, at sooner, at some point or another, have met these people. And I know when, when I met uh, the first people I ever worked with uh, at a, a company, they were they were literally had just come over from Russia. And you know, in talking to them about the Cold War and all of that craziness that was ensuing in that point in time and you ask them about that and they go oh my god you have no idea we were so terrified we were so terrified of you so terrified of america so terrified of the holocaust of a nuclear war and all that i'm like we were both on the same fucking side of the coin man you know and when does this shit fucking end and who's responsible for starting that kind of uproar who's responsible the people you vote for (laughs) you know I mean, I hate to say it this way, but that's the fucking facts. People by nature aren't going to rumble. It's the people in charge and who've been in charge throughout history who are the ones who want to fucking rumble. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? So what if you wake up tomorrow and, you know, some guy, uh, if they don't kill him first, says, enough, enough. What, 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 what is this? What are we living by? And where is it getting us? You talk about the financial state of this fucking globe. Forget that. Think about the, just the, the relationship with one another on this globe. Um, fuck money and all of that. Forget that. Look at, uh, look at how people relate to each other. I mean, sooner or later, isn't that, isn't that broken? Isn't government so somewhat broken? I watched, uh, what, what was it? Was it, and excuse me, folks, because I'm not a political guy in any form of the word. But there was something on, I think it was last night or night before. Was that a Republican, some kind of Republican debate of some sort? Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it was like a fucking rock show, dude. Did you see that stage set? <laughs> Huge LCD monitors and props and podiums with gold trim on them. I mean, you could have fed a small country with the amount of budget that was spent on that fucking stage set. And I look at this, I'm like, this is no, remember what politics used to be? A blue curtain and a carpeted stage with two podiums. Look at it now. It's absurd. It is idiocracy. 
You know, how much longer before we got the line of guys playing the uh, the Kramer guitars? You know, dun, 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 dun. I mean, how long? It's got before... electrolytes. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's 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 like it's rock stars, man. These people are walking out waving like they are a celebrity. You're not a fucking celebrity. Guess what? You work for us. You know, you're not a rock star. So come down off that fucking stage. I mean, these are the people that ultimately make the decisions on what happens to our country in this world. And um, and I don't see anything changing there so fucking dramatically. And so we'll continue um, to be at odds with other countries over some stupid submarine in the wrong place or um, some warlord who doesn't want to, you know... Stop killing his own people. I mean, we're it's always going to be a world of shit uh, until we all learn to relate to one another past the notion of uh, of 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 a government or of a ruler of some sort. And I think once that's overcome, and once that once we all get to live in that wonderful place where a guy from Iraq is no different than a guy from you know, like it's just a matter of where you were born. I mean, this is as racist as it gets for me. I don't like you because you're from Iraq, you know? I don't like that because you were born on that dirt as opposed to my dirt over here. I mean, how childish is this bullshit, right? Uh, and then it goes further into theology and all of, and politi- all of that. All, by the way, manifestations of mankind. But once you get through all of that and you transcend all of that nonsense – that's where I see your thing happening because at that point people have time. <laughs> well, people have other things to worry about besides yeah. the next bomb on a bus. The problem I see with that is that what you're talking about is still on a pendulum and we've talked about this before, which can swing either way. Mm-hmm. There is no utopian that you're talking about of that. I mean, hell, we thought that when the wall fell, right? <laughs> yeah. Then we thought that when America had a budget surplus. Then we <laughs> thought that, you know, when we had no enemies, right? And they, right. but they just keep inventing enemies for us to have. Right. And that is I mean, all of that stuff that you're saying is is born of us is born of us. Right. <laughs> so how do you not have that stuff born of us? Well, you can imagine an ideal world where that stuff goes away and then we all live happily ever after. But the reality is that ain't happening because uh, right. we've got to go. <laughs> the mindset has to go mm-hmm. that created it. It's the mm-hmm. mindset that is uh, antiquated because even now this gets back to our Ray Kurzweil singularity thing of last week. And I guess we have to put up that midweek show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Even the most optimistic and best and brightest, um, looking at their own future, they're still creating technologies based on their own fear of death, based on their own fears, mm-hmm. and based on their ignorance of that your mind can work another way right now. Mm-hmm. So ignorance, arrogance, fear, these are the things that even the people that we say are transcendent. You know, Ray Kurzweil is a transcendent man. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they want to build for for their future. That's that's their best. That's what's coming down the pike mm. once we get rid of these racial barriers and 
right. and all of that. And frankly, it almost feels like we had our chance with that type of mindset. You know, there was that point where we became a global village. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could see this as well, still growing pains of seeing what that means. You know, we're a global village, but there are too many deeply embedded power structures all wanting to remain in control. And I don't think there's enough of you out there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which is why you're saying, Hey, you notice the difference in behavior of people from now to even 10 years ago. Well, there is, there's a reason that you notice that difference. Um, because you're not the thing evolving into that, uh, or, or I guess devolving into that. <laughs> so there's probably less of you than of that. Oh, no doubt. I'm sure. I mean, so unless there's a some magical event that happens that that brings us to a kumbaya moment that is everlasting, I mean, that's you know that's a miracle, right? At that point, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, the hippies sure tried, and then they became their own worst enemy. <laughs> then they became the problem. I mean, we have be- a, we have a mindset that sets up authority, that sets up power structures, right? That. Sure. That needs to have a, a pyramid scheme, a person in charge and an underling and subordinates right. and all of that. All that structure, that right. That mindset has to go. You can't just do away with the the shit that it's produced only to start anew and then end up back at the same place again. I mean, that's – Right. This is what we do. <laughs> well, yeah, I have your feeling you're exactly right. If the, If we ever did transcend current world structure, that that's exactly what would happen is these new outcroppings would pop up. In response to greed or lust for power or whatever. Um, but, you know, it all started out with, uh, again, the have and the have-nots. You know, I've got grain. You don't. I'll stockpile my grain. You go hungry. You club my head in for my grain. That's how it works. And sooner or later, that probably would happen again. And and who would do what? I mean, there's your question for idiocracy. Who was building all this stuff that they were using? Who was making Brondo, right? I mean, <laughs> that requires machinery. Machinery then would require some kind of intelligence to have made it. Um, you know, henceforth why that movie doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's great. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. It, um, Actually, I think that was answered when the dude's looking out the hospital window <laughs> and he sees a car just go up the bridge. <laughs> I, I mean, the answer is somebody, you know, smarts, as soon as that died off, right? You know, it's like there's people who know how to use the technology, but they don't know how to, they, know how, they, yeah, they can't broke. fix it, they can't do anything else with it, and uh, and once it's gone, it's gone, and, but they're still, they're still on the treadmill, you know, they're still <laughs> driving their car up the bridge that doesn't work anymore. Meanwhile, we're having <laughs> kids parties at fuck wreckers. Yeah. Uh, um, well, now here's an interesting question is... We start off talking about paranormal, mm-hmm. and as we are wont to do, we inevitably end up right into very human, very now social issues. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Is that what this is about? Well, I mean, like I said, I think it's, uh, you know, is the UFO representation of, uh, you know, is it a haunting of our future? Is it, is it what we are? Is it us? And is it uh, telling us, you know, you're more than this. Look what you can do. Look what you're capable of creating. I think we just don't get it. I think we just assemble some kind of structure around that. Again, the, the need to explain it all, the need to understand, the need to put it in a box and carry it with us just mutates into alien abduction and 
and uh, and ghosts, and these are dead people, and these are aliens, and these are extraterrestrials, or they're ultra-terrestrials, or they're from the ocean. Uh, all of that stuff is um, is just our effort to not realize what it is. <laughs> not like we know. I mean, I don't, I don't think either of us are claiming to know what this is. We're just randomly throwing out these things because, you know, they're... There are other directions that I hopefully, I mean, people haven't already gone over. But I, I do wonder if it isn't us trying to realize the greater us. And this stuff is is like again, it's the it's the the, the little the little burning ash flying out of a fire that's that's already burning, and we can't see it. But all we see is that little burning ash come flying out at us for that brief moment. And that brief moment is saying, you're more than this. And when we realize that, what is the first reaction that we have is fear. We're afraid of it because we're comfortable with where we are. You know, I, I think that's what McKenna said, you know, when he talked about being uh, in the DMT space and becoming somewhat familiar in it and being able to, as he said, stand more uh, in that place, you know, somebody said to him at a lecture, well, why don't you just take more? And he says, because I'm very comfortable with where I am. And I think that, I think that this world has to get a whole lot more uncomfortable before people actually take a look at these things in a more serious way to realize that, that maybe we are looking at us, that it is, you know, the overmind of the species manifesting itself. And, and it, it is the, it is the signpost going, you're more than this. <laughs> and we're just not, we're just showing, well, what is that? We don't know what that is. You know, again, we're the monkey. It reduces you to that. I think when I talk about, remember I've mentioned the childlike mentality mm-hmm. that tends to happen in the presence of the man in the black or in the presence of an abduction experience. You have that feeling of childlike. I think I'm more apt these days to look at that childlike way about it and say, it's it's the more it's the more primal it's the more monkey it's the more i don't know what's going on well let me I'm, ask you okay. this because i i wanted to ask you this back when you said it but we went off uh-huh. uh when shroud dude says to you you think this is real about the mm-hmm. universe mm-hmm. when you say that i think to the average listener that sounds like um that the universe is a an illusion, a construct built specifically for us to see. Is that what he meant or not? I don't know if it's meant for us to see. I Because what I said is what I experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a hell of a lot more sense than we live in a computer program simulation oh, yeah. universe, which is what right. I think that could imply. Well, I mean, it could. Um, well, did it to you? I mean, when you heard it, what did you think? It's the same thing that has come at me for years with this stuff. And the one overbearing thought um, in my mind about this stuff is that it's it's exactly like what, of all people, a UFO researcher told me years ago, that life is far more than what we've been led to believe. And I think that I spent at least a decade dissecting that and digesting that statement into a whole lot more than probably what it was even meant to be intended for at the moment. Uh, I think what that means is, is that, you know, what you think you see is not what you see and where you are is not where you are, that you're, that you're sleeping, that, and in, and in many ways this relates back to what you say. We are asleep. We are dreaming. 
and we need to wake up. And, um, and I, uh, unlike you, I don't know that there's a consequence or a timeline to that. I don't know that there's a, a dire deadline. Um, you know, will things ever get better from what they are right now in the state of our current reality? I have no idea. I like to think it will. I like to think that it's an ebb and flow of that sort of thing. Um, but ultimately, that's what I take away from all of this, is that there is a lot more to this. And, um, and what we're seeing is, is, a, is a persistent screen memory of some sort that you know, there's something else. There is something beyond this. Uh, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know what it means, but that's what I take away from that kind of a statement is, you know, you think that's real? Like you really, and there was a, there was kind of a, uh, you, you have to, you have to kind of like hear the inflection in that statement to say, it's just not discussed. It's just like, my God, you really think that's real? Do you really believe that? Almost like you shouldn't believe that, but you do, don't you? It was that kind of, it was that kind of inflection in, in, in the tone of that kind of statement. Like, you really know better, but you honestly do think that's, some, that's, that's what it is, don't you? I was like, uh, what? <laughs> that's kind of the way I took it. And that's the way I still think of it in, um, in, you know, in the grander scheme of things. This is just not uh, – I mean, in many ways, it relates back to Neo, you know, this is, you're living in a dream world, you know, this is not what it is. You need to wake up to the world that's been pulled down over your eyes. And I think, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, when you talk about oneness, the one thing that comes to mind to me whenever I hear you talk about oneness is that we are the oneness that is pulling the wool over our own eyes, that we are hiding from something. We are hiding from something, and um, and that something is beating at our fucking door, and that to me is what defines paranormal activity. That is what defines the UFO to me, um, in my current thought process. You know, and that's changed a lot over the years. It's it's you know it evolves and de-evolves as as uh, as I go along, but that's what I see, but and that's you, how I you've also that. said during the course of the show that the thing that's beating at our door is us. Yeah. So we're hiding from ourselves. We're hiding from ourselves. And like a good uh, schizophrenic, we're projecting that self outside of ourselves to see and to experience as an other. Which, again, to me, fits like a puzzle piece into, into things like um, like what Grant Morrison talks about with sigil magic and this sort of thing, this kind of hacking reality. Yeah, but yet you, you still think that this guy who came to you has his own independent reality. Well, I've told you at points that it feels like talking to me. <laughs> so, yes and no. I I don't know what to make of that. See, it, I think it is it certainly yes and no. Feels, I think it, it is it, yes and no. I think yes it does no feel that way. Answer. I got to be honest. I got to be honest. It does feel separate from me. But I at think, other but times, again, it, this, this, again, this all goes back to me, 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 mm-hmm. me, me, me. <laughs> right. This all goes back to the answer is yes and no. The answer is yes, it is you, and it is separate from you. The mm-hmm. answer is yes, uh, it is you know, an illusion and it's reality. I mean, all of these are the same fucking thing, you know, it's like, but because we don't live on that stage or that plane, you know, and see it from that perspective, it's confusing. It's something that we can sort of wrap our minds around in theory, but, but what does that really mean? I mean, and as an abstract, well, 
okay. But no, I mean, if that's actually the reality, yes and no at the same time, Mm -hmm. this and that, him and me, Mm -hmm. I am the walrus. (laughs) I will show you terror in a grain of sand, isn't that it? I mean... Then why aren't aren't we uh, waking up here, Jeff? What's going on? (laughs) I'm perfectly happy where I'm at. But you're not Uh, happy where you're at. No. Why aren't we? I don't know. I don't know. Because, well... If you want to talk about this field, most of this field thinks it's spacemen. Well, I don't care about this field. I care about you. You know. <laughs> Why aren't we waking up? Yeah. Everything is as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, go, I'll throw that right, right back at you. Yeah, but you don't know what that means. Well, Again, I don't care. Just a, that's just a, a concept that, yeah. that doesn't really apply. That, that becomes, you know, the thing that well, you use to not ever change. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> I'll that. take it. I don't know. I, to answer your question, I don't know. Um, but you don't want to, right? I think it's. Um, I, mean, I think you, it's, you want to be the angry d- dude. Uh, no, I'd rather not <laughs> be. Come hell or high water. <laughs> I'd rather, rather be the angry guy. I'd rather be happy. I'd rather. Um, but would you rather be something else? Well, see again. It you know there are for me there are attachments. Uh, to this, that's the the attachments of, uh, um, and and maybe maybe they're false attachments, and I don't I don't know how to reconcile that, but uh, you know I have attachments to other people, which are all reflections of me, right? That's how it works. Um, but in this state that I'm in right now, I have attachments to people, and I I that that is you know what what's the reason for staying why not walk through the purple door well first of all i don't know where it is uh i only think i know and if i think i know that means i have no idea it's terrifying in in many ways because it is so completely i mean if 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 an alien experience is any indication of what an alternate existence would be then the me that's talking right now that's wearing the mask of the pod show host is pretty terrified of that because it is so outside the realm of anything that I feel used to. But the me inside is completely used to that. It knows what that is, it, but I don't know what that is. And so your, your idea of, of uh, your self self throwing a lifeline to the other inside you to pull it, uh, uh, to pull it into yourself and to become that one um, sounds like a great idea, but uh, you're talking to a guy who can't meditate without jumping in fear for dizziness, so or head stretching or well, see. Whatever. This is what makes me. God, we're so over time. But this is what makes me again go back and rethink. Well, geez, what would actually happen if I had been on that stage? Would I be recognizable? Some piece of me, whatever. Uh, because if you are that, then that is the thing that scares you. And so would I be scary to you? You know what I mean? Like, would you intuit me as a fearful presence as opposed to, hey, just Jeremy or Jeremy plus he's smiley more. <laughs> he's full of love <laughs> like the Dalai Lama or whatever, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Like who would show up? <laughs> yeah. Door yeah, number I, one is the guy with the open heart. Door number two is me as I am with this deep secret. And door number three is this is a scary nightmare of a person, you know, a trickster type pretending to be normal. God, I just pictured you in an X-Men suit. That's terrible. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't. In many ways, I talk about this stuff, and in some ways, I can get my head around it. But in other ways, I go, "Geez, you know what? I got to go to work tomorrow." <laughs> uh, I, you know, I just don't know. I don't have that. To be honest with you, Jer, I don't have that much time to to concentrate on this. I don't. I don't. I. You know, unfortunately, I live in the constructs of this world right now, and um, and I've got to play by its rules in so many ways. Um. Otherwise, you know, everything goes to shit, and I don't want everything to go to shit. If I'm stuck here, then at least I might as well try to make the best of it. That's my outlook on it, as depressing as that may be to you. Um, oh, I'm, are you we know, all doing that? Uh, yeah, I think so. The, to me, I don't know what they're – where is the stepping stone to that? Where you know, Your book, you know, I'm sure is a, is a primer of some sort into understanding – your steps, and then you trying to guide a reader into that direction to understand what you understand or to come to the realizations that you have. And I think, and see, this is the weird, see, this is the thing with you, I think, is you realize certain greater aspects of life, certain greater aspects of what's going on. And those are um, inherent in your, in you. I mean, they're inherent, they're inherent truths for you. Um, and because they've impacted you so strongly, you feel that, that, you know, you want to, you want to give that to other people. You want to present that to other people and go, look, this is, this is capable. This is a possibility. And henceforth, why you become so irritated when people question you, you're like, no, it's A, B, and C, or it's this, that, and the other. And, you know, I've seen you use words like, no, you're wrong. This is that. And you need to get to this. And you get frustrated with that sort of thing. But at the same time that you're that guy who realizes the bigger things, you're still the guy that gets pissed off. You're still the guy that gets irritated at this or that, just like me. So there's still so I wonder if that aspect of being walking through the purple door, I wonder if that wouldn't be all those people on that stage, kind of like a reverberation of the self, <laughs> you know, part looking like you, part looking like like li- like literally a a waveform hmm. of all of those things, you know. And when you walk off the stage, all of these people walk off the stage in in some kind of V formation on each side of you, positive and negative, dark and light, that sort of thing. Because you are very much a dark and light guy, you know. Like on one side, you're this guy who has realized certain truths about reality for yourself, and then on the other side. You're the same fucking schmuck as the rest of us, <laughs> which is why you can relate this so well to other people. That's the gift, I think, that you got. You know, that's the gift that was imparted upon you by this experience is that you're both, you know. Can I send it back? <laughs> can I return it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, this yeah, is I interesting mean, because um, Guy and Shroud, I remember you originally describing him. Uh, his voice taking on different voices. Yeah. Male, female, your own, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that plays into it? You know, that, that sort of, do you think that that's in a way the waveform mm. you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, even back in the day when it was all about visitors, you know, even when it was all about that and not knowing what it was and being horrifyingly scared of it, even that in the tone and the inflection of the voice, like the, the, the emphasis was always on the wrong syllables. 
and sometimes the voice would go high and and kind of effeminate, and then other times it would be really gruff. And but never were the syllables; they just didn't take a. It was like as if you're talking like this. <laughs> it was like that sort of thing, um, and it always struck me odd. And this Bashar, this, you know, what's that? He sounded like Bashar. Uh, <laughs> I forget what that sounds like. Bashar talks like this. Mm. Hi, no, three. I mean, I mean the syllables being completely fucked up, hmm. um, to where it's almost hard to follow what's being said and where the ending is. You know, it's like you have to attach your own punctuation in places. Um, did he? Does he always sound like that? No. No, I mean, in fact, he does not sound like that. When I talk of visitors, I mean the the little spindly guys. You know, they tend to have that kind of sound, um, not audible sound, but head sound, and the way your brain must interpret whatever whatever telepathy. Jesus, fuck, am I saying that? Um, whatever that is, that's apparently maybe how your brain interprets it. Maybe that's not the way their inflection is. Maybe it's completely. It's completely monotone, and you're trying to make sense of it in your own mind, and that's what creates that syllabic um, syllabic. How do you say that? Syllabic problems. Uh, More fun when you say it. Yeah, I know. You know, the, the 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 guy in black doesn't have that. He will just go extremely effeminate sometimes, and then extremely male, but always with a lot of breath. And I don't think he breathes. I don't think I never hear. I don't hear that. It's just it's continuous. Um, you know, there's no there's no intake of air to create the sound. But yet there is sound. It is audible. Although parts of it aren't. Uh, parts of it are very much um, visual. So maybe that is um, skipping. Maybe that is some kind of, you know individual one to skip that I'm talking to several different incarnations of somebody or several different people or several different aspects of the one. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any clue. So, I mean, that's strictly guesswork on my part, but I think we've, I think we've uh, exhausted our, our time. <laughs> yes. We and do our, go on. Our brains. <laughs> yeah. I'm man. I'm smoking. So folks, guess what? Out of time. Unfortunately, this podcast doesn't exist in the parallel universe where there is no time and there is only one. Zool. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry, Ray. She's a dog. <laughs> um, that was for Allison, by the way. <laughs> uh, are you the key master? <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, here this has been the uh, this has been the grand thought experiment, I guess tonight. Um, traversing the the gambit of all of this stuff but i hope it's uh i hope it's kept you interested enough to to follow along because uh i think some of the guests that we're gonna have coming up are gonna be going a little further into this kind of thinking they are further yes name them name one guest who can top this conversation michael persinger dun 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 because we're hard after him (laughs) but he's a tough guest um busy man but yeah i think um 
I think the nature of reality and, and all of these different possibilities are going to be something that we're going to be talking more about. So uh, I'll be very curious to hear what you guys have to say on the message board about all of this. And, uh, and uh, tell me what you think about that, that whole man hoax, other presents type thing. Like what you think of that. I think it sounds like that X-Files episode where the greys abduct the people mm-hmm. and then an alien monster beams down in the middle of the abduction and the greys <laughs> turn to each other and go, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and it turns out that the greys, I think the greys were government guys. I'm not sure. That it was oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and a real alien showed up. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. If I remember the episode correctly, gentlemen. Worst show ever. <laughs> By the way, have you watched the X-Files lately? Like yeah. they're re- they're rerunning them on like Sci-Fi and BBC America. Mm-hmm. Well, I never realized how bad that show was. Oh, I love that show. I, I did too. You. How dare you? I did too. But God, really bad acting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but Gillian Anderson ain't no hotter, hotter, hotter chick for the thinking man about. I'm <laughs> telling you, she's a hot, she's a hot babe. So anyway, folks, I hope you enjoyed it, and have a good uh, have a good weekend, Jeremy. Final thoughts? Uh, I got nothing. I'm tapped. Everybody, I, I hope we didn't break you. <laughs> I hope we you're broke, still with us. We broke our audience. All, All right. right. Sweet dreams, y'all. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>